I'm Kate Daniels. Heart health, that's the goal as February gives us the opportunity to highlight our heart and bring awareness to how we can take care of this major core organ. Dr. Arush Manchanda is dedicated to helping us learn and be proactive, and he's with us to inspire us to get started now. Dr. Arush Manchanda, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kate, for having me, and it's a pleasure to be on your show. You are really an amazing and intriguing man, a cardiologist, so really I feel in that extraordinary place of medicine, and you're a teacher. It seems that you have a passion to really make people understand, and so as we have a chance to discuss your incredible new book, Your Heart House, in that you approach it in such a teaching fashion. So it's like, here you are, people. You own this piece of your anatomy. Let's understand it so you can make the best use of it and keep it healthy. Would you agree that I've interpreted that correctly? You bet. And thank you for a complimentary introduction (laughs) because, you know, we're always talking in today's day and age about patient empowerment you know, shared decision-making, you know, let's get with their doctors and let's figure out what's the best, not only cost-effective, you know, way at which, you know, what would be the best, you know, most efficient and correct way of treating problems or preventing, you know, heart attacks, strokes, cancers, what have you. And one of the things that I have learned, you know, in the last 12 years that I've been deeply engaged in practicing cardiology is that People don't understand the working of their heart. And so they listen to all this information. It's like, oh, yeah, I got to quit smoking and I need to lose weight. I want to get active and I want to watch the fats, what I eat and fast food is not good for me. But I don't think they put it in context of their heart. You know, they know that these things are bad, but they truly don't understand how it's going to affect your heart. And that leads to non-engagement, right? If I have less clue about how you know, I'm good at making analogies of how your radio jockey, you know, business works. But if you keep telling me X, Y, Z things about the radio station and I have no clue, well, I mean, I'll keep hearing it and say, okay, this is what they tell us and media is telling us or doctors are telling us. But then I would not engage with that information. I wouldn't absorb it. And so my hope here is to create a movement and I'm hoping other fellow physicians you know, can join me in truly attacking this problem from a grassroots level. And the first step, and I put that on the video on my website also in my mission statement, the first step to system transformation is knowledge. And I think once people start understanding about their heart, how these different risk factors are connected, what kind of lifestyle changes they can make to address this big beast of heart disease or cardiovascular disease, which includes stroke, then we can really start making a change. Absolutely. And I think this education is so critical because... The heart is so complex, but I think we just think of it as, well, it's just this organ, not totally understanding all the intricacies. And we don't have to know it really from that medical perspective, but to understand it. As I was reading through this part of our heart house, I thought, oh, this is amazing. I never learned this. I never took biology as a class in school. Perhaps that's where it was taught. 
I have no idea. But I would gauge that most of us don't understand. So you're stepping in here to help us to gain this knowledge so we can really approach our heart health in a much more deliberate fashion, I think. Yes. I mean, and another video I put on my website is, you know, how it's going to help the heart patients. And one of the common things I see is a young woman who walks into my office and she said, doc, you know, my primary care doctor said I got a heart murmur and and she's sweating, she's anxious, she wants a test done, you know, yesterday and they heard a murmur and am I going to die of a heart attack? And, and then I calm her down and I say, hey, you know what? Murmur is a door problem, right? So, it, you know, just like I talk in my book or my analogy that I've been using for the last seven years is that your heart is like a house. And just like you have rooms and you have doors to go from one room to the other, the heart has these different chambers and it has valves that allow the blood to go from one room to the next. So when we are talking murmur, a leaky valve, a pig valve, you're actually talking about a door problem. It has nothing to do with a heart attack. And some of these murmurs, as I mentioned in my book, are very innocent. And a lot of people have innocent heart murmurs. There's nothing wrong with it. People, as we get old, just like in your house, the door jams are going to get old and they will give you a problem. You know, the doors can be jammed a little bit. And same thing happens. We get degenerative valve disease as people in their 80s. You know, a lot of them have aortic sclerosis, mitral valve leaks and tricuspid valve leaks. And these are all age-related changes which are normal. You know, we don't need to freak out about them. But... Yes, if you have what we call as a plumbing blockage, you know, where the arteries or the coronary arteries or the arteries of the heart that supply blood to it, if they get blocked, that's when you get angina, that's when you get chest pain, that's what puts you at risk of heart attack, cardiac arrest. And these important basics need to be coached to people so they're not unscrupulous doctors out there making use of people's anxiety and putting them through you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of tests. And then also people are, you know, one of my hopes is to build that respect for doctors again, because a lot of people just feel like when they go into the doctor's office, they don't engage because they know, oh, he's going to order a bunch of tests and it's going to cost me so much. So I'm, I'm not going there. So my mission is to really help people understand what all this is about so they can then engage with their doctors, empower themselves with this knowledge, and then make a shared decision. You know, shared decision-making is important to reduce cost. You know, it's also important to improve outcomes. And I think this is one of the ways that I have thought about it would be a simplistic way, you know, without spending too much money because we need to educate people. And once the consumer, you know, as the business guys would call it, are educated, They understand what they're dealing with. They understand the risk and benefits of doing a procedure or not or taking a test or not. Then everybody's happy, right? Exactly. And it's really this kind of a formula or approach can be applied to our entire body, all kinds of disease and just health in general. But the focus here on heart is particularly key because heart disease, if we don't realize, is, is the really the number one disease, the number one killer of the population, isn't it? Correct. You know, it's the number one cause of death overall for Americans. It's the number one cause of death in women. 
You know, women all their lives believe like, oh, breast cancer. There's breast cancer awareness associations and there's breast cancer uh, committees uh, across different health agencies. But heart disease has kind of been silent in the back. But believe it or not, it is the number one killer. And you recently saw Carrie Fisher and her mom, you know, Debbie Reynolds, they both succumb to cardiovascular disease, one to heart, heart attack, another to stroke and especially a young death and a sudden death. And these are the kind of uh, shocking stories that, you know, we deal with every day as heart doctors. And we want to put that focus of prevention and the focus uh, back into cardiac awareness uh, in women and overall Americans to say, guys, this is the number one killer. Please pay attention to it. It's partly lifestyle mediated. So Make sure you do correct your lifestyles so you don't end up being a young dad. And it's partly engaging with the right doctors and with the right medicine, with the right type of procedures, so you can live a healthy, disease-free, morbidity-free life ahead. Of course, that's the ideal, and that's what we really want to do. And I think we have this opportunity to do so And I think in that way, Carrie Fisher and her mother, Debbie Reynolds, in a way, gave us a gift. Maybe it's going to have shocked us sufficiently to realize how vulnerable each of us is. It's not just something that happens way out there. But when we can identify with someone because they're such a high-profile person, I think maybe it drives it home a little more so. Yes, because I think as, you know, things keep happening but they don't get into our forebrain, you know, our our conscious mind. And I feel a lot of people are addicted to media and TV, and that's their primary source of information. So especially, you know, Hollywood. And so I think that if there are people who are Carrie's fans and Debbie Reynolds fans, and this is important that hopefully that as they see this happening in front of their eyes, that they will use this to their advantage. You know, I'm a guy who spiritually use all negative experiences and try at least, and I'm mostly successful with God's grace to turn them into positive experiences, you know, lead with an uh, altruistic consciousness. And I feel that there is something to be learned here for people, for me, for you, for all of us. Yes, absolutely. So that nothing has been wasted in that way, that in this particular case, we can say that those two deaths perhaps heightened our awareness so that we are maybe shocked into action to really learn more and become more proactive with our own personal health. Correct. Right. So in the case of Carrie Fisher, it seemed like a sudden death, perhaps because she was in flight, she didn't get the the proper attention. Is that something that we might think of as key if we are feeling or experiencing some sort of a heart episode? I'm not exactly sure what her circumstances were, what was going on with her heart, but if she were, say, in her home, would the outcome perhaps have been different? You know, I haven't really looked into the minute-to-minute, and I'm not even sure if her story got released, you know, as far as because a lot of these personal health records are supposed to be private, and I'm not sure what was released of the sequence of events. But, 
you bring a really good point, and I pointed out in my book, and I quote it as time is muscle. Okay, so when we're talking about a heart attack, you know, we're talking about plumbing, you know, the artery getting blocked. As the artery gets blocked, the walls go damp. As the walls go damp, the wires start shorting. So a lot of people, you know, that get heart attack, it's not necessarily the heart attack that kills them. It's the shorting of the wires, and we call that cardiac arrest. So, you know, you can have, boom, sudden cardiac arrest, and one can say one in two people that get a heart attack actually get cardiac arrest, and they don't even make it to the hospital because, you know, unless they're revived quickly and shock-backed out of that short circuit. And that's why you see, you know, this whole trend of having AEDs, you know, be available, you know, which are devices that EMT use. People go out and coach in any public area in malls that government has regulated, hey, we need to have these defibrillators out there because if you see somebody who collapsed on the floor suddenly, put it on, and if it says shock, then go ahead and give the shock, and if it says CPR, call 911 and start CPR because time is muscle, you know, and time is electricity in a way because if we can't get that artery open as quickly as we can, first, you know, people are going to get cardiac arrest from the wire shorting. And coming back to my analogy, you know, if you don't open the artery quickly, the walls, you know, which are dampening are now start to get damaged and they settle and, and they cause heart failure. And that person now has to live with uh, a less than best oomph, you know, or pump pumping of their heart. And I talk about how all these things are connected, you know, the plumbing, the electricity, the walls in my book here. And I think that is a key uh, for people to understand. And if they have any warning symptoms of heart attack, like they suddenly start feeling left-sided chest pain going down their arm, up their jaw, increased readiness, impending doom, you know, lightheaded, dizzy, feel like passing out, their heartbeats jumping, uh, uneasiness, you know, any warning signs of a heart attack that they need to quickly call 911 and get into the closest hospital and so we can diagnose it appropriately. And if it is truly a heart attack, we can take care of it so they don't suffer from any damage. So, yes, time is muscle. And in terms of the symptoms that you were just describing for us, Dr. Manchanda, the symptoms are somewhat different for women versus men, aren't they? Correct. You know, years after years, studies after studies have shown us that women can have atypical symptoms. And I have seen it with my own eyes. I mean, just, I guess yesterday I had somebody um, and uh, her only complaints, you know, she came to the emergency room and her only complaints were, oh, I'm just tired. And then the person had some pain, the gastric pain, you know, which means like pain in your stomach area. And the ER doctors said, oh, we checked the EKG. The EKG looks abnormal. But, you know, we ran some blood work and I mentioned, you know, our standard battery of tests in heart disease in my book too. And, and the blood work shows there's no heart damage and maybe she just lives like this and with an abnormal EKG. And we called the doctors that, the, you know, I called them the plumbers, the interventional cardiologists that do the angiograms. And they're like, oh, no, she's been having these symptoms for two days and there's no signs of heart damage and the troponin's negative, And, you know, I don't think this is the heart. And... Fortunately, you know, I've been able to develop some advanced imaging technology here in the small hospital that I direct the cardiovascular services for, and I got her cardiac CT. And 
For sure. You know, just like I suspected, the front artery, the video maker, had a 99% blockage. But the lady was lucky that her body had tried to fight it and the flow was still there. So she didn't have a heart attack from it just yet. And that's what was fooling the emergency room doctors. But her EKG was able to pick it up. And so we then finally got her down and got her artery open. And so heart disease is still very humbling. Every day it humbles me, and I bet there's a lot of heart doctors, if there are a few listening to me, that get humbled by how it presents. And that's what actually keeps us interested in this, <laughs> because it's a very labor-intensive job, but it's just so fascinating. And it's the disease that, you know, it always surprises us. It always humbles us. And I think that's important for the listeners to know that if it humbles your heart doctor, you've got to humble you, take it take your symptoms with a pinch of salt. Don't take them lightly. If you feel something's abnormal, seek help. Great. I think we need to underscore that, be reminded to seek help and not to poo-poo it because I actually have a personal experience in the story of my own mother who did basically that. She was feeling nauseous and she thought, oh, it was nothing. And in fact, she was visiting someone at the hospital, decided to go home and have a rest, but was still feeling unsettled. So called the neighbor and mentioned this and they called 911. In fact, she went to the hospital for her own care and she was having a heart attack. So I think we have to really take some of these symptoms seriously and not just just cast them aside. Right. I mean, I was talking to someone yesterday on a radio show, and she was asking me the same question about, you know, how do I really differentiate between acid reflux and that? And, you know, the answer is sudden. I mean, if it's something, you know, there are people who have more tendency to get heartburns. You know, you had coffee and had ibuprofen uh, or your aspirin that you know kills your stomach and Mexican food or spicy Indian tandoori chicken, you know, things that <laughs> would provoke um, some acid. I get it. I mean, that's something over the years, you know, we all know like we overate. But if it's something sudden, you know, like you're, you know, just sitting around doing your normal chores or watching a movie and suddenly you feel nauseated, you feel a pressure sensation on your chest, and, uh, you know, that impending doom, it gets you sweaty. And uh, that's a very different kind of nausea or GI thing. You know, that could be perhaps the RCA occlusion. You know, the right coronary artery actually supplies the bottom part of the heart. The bottom part of the heart is in touch with the stomach. So when people have inferior myocardial infarction, and again, I touch a little bit about that in my book, that when you have a heart attack, at the bottom part of the heart or the back side of the heart, sometimes that can mimic a GI event or it can present itself as nausea and vomiting and hiccups because the vagus nerve runs right by it and it gets irritated. And so it's hard to know when you have the right coronary occlusion, you know, it can be tough for patients. But if it's sudden, you just remember those red flags, sudden, out of the blue and unexpected, you know, when you wouldn't expect something like this to happen. You can't really figure out what could trigger it. Those, you know, are really big warning signs to take it seriously. This could potentially be a heart attack and get it checked ASAP. 
so excellent, wise direction. To learn more, and you mentioned that you have this book, this new book, wonderful book, Your Heart House and Artisan's Approach to Understanding Heart Health. It's written in such a way that any of us can understand it. It's not medical terminology. Although it's mentioned, you still have this teacher approach that helps us to really understand and really be able to apply it to ourselves, I feel. Thank you. Thank you again for your you know compliment there. And I think if you like it, you'll be able to get a lot of information on my website, yourhearthouse.com. It's similar to the title of my book. And uh, there is a blog that we try to update with uh, patient education content every week. There's all different social media platforms that I have asked and requested my team to post the contents that I've given to them, that I've been working on with them for six months. And we worked hard on the videos, you know, patient education videos and other chapters or parts of the book that I feel are relevant. And then last week, we've started now a free newsletter, you know, a weekly newsletter that I'm hoping would come out every Wednesday. And I would urge you and and other listeners to please go and sign up for it. It's free heart education, you know, give some lifestyle tips about heart disease prevention. It will perhaps have some other heart education videos that we've done uh, about the topic of heart awareness. It'll perhaps have some radio interviews as they become available on heart disease prevention, and it would have uh, a lifestyle tip and tons of information for our listeners to learn more and uh, follow me in this journey. I feel the best way to learn is teach, and uh, (laughs) I'm going to learn a lot in this journey myself, and I want to Thank everybody who's helped me get here and thank others with who I hope I can get to the next level and uh, touch as many lives and save as many lives as I can. Well, judging by your experiences, your education, and this thrust that you have with the book and with reaching out to the public as you are, Dr. Manchanda, I feel that you really are demonstrating that that's your desire is to help us about this disease, heart disease, which is the number one disease that is really crippling, if not killing us. And so it's in our best interests. It's in our hands to make that change. Yes. And, you know, one of the other things when I am sitting with my friends, I tell them that I see based on my personal experience that people come in two shades. They're either followers or non-followers. Okay. So the followers, you know, they, they go to their doctor's office, whether it's their heart doctor, their diabetes doctor, their kidney doctor, or their primary care GP, and they're like, Doc, you know, you're a god. I'll do everything you tell me to do. And I think it's great, you know, that they have that trust in us. But I still have problems with that because we're not gods. You know, gone are the days of paternalistic medicine. I mean, How can you be 100% sure that everything that's coming out of that person's mouth, including me, is 100% accurate, right? Because how can I, in 10 minutes or 15 minutes of the time you spend in my office, get everything about you? So I think 
that to keep me and other doctors in check, you have to educate yourself. Just like when you go out to buy the newest iPhone, don't you ask the questions, how is this different from the other? Or, you know, you go out to buy simple grocery stuff, new detergent. I mean, everyday things women do, you know, why do I need to pay this when I can get this? You know, there's a grocery list of things. And I think the same approach needs to enter medicine where rather than just be a believer in everything, because there's so much out there, patients need to engage. And for them to engage, they need to be the ones to educate themselves and ask the right questions. So the person on the opposite side then suddenly switches gear and says, oh, here's an empowered patient. I got to explain them everything so they understand why we're doing something. And that's how we are going to reduce waste and get accurate outcomes. So that's one part. Now, the non-followers are people who disengage. You know, they just shut medicine off. And that was the problem before Obama got, you know, the whole Obamacare Act done that uh, about a third of America wasn't insured. And they feel like we're ordering tests or the doctors are seeing patients because they want their new Mercedes. (laughs) I put a chapter there for that too, you know, when you're actually trying to help patients. And I think that this will bridge that gap that, you know, it would hopefully bring those non-followers in as they understand, you know, their hearts or their health and understand that, hey, you know, there is a middle ground for all this. And hopefully we can engage those people so they don't show up at the last minute when we have to spend millions in saving their lives. We can catch them early and get them to prevent an expensive event like a heart attack or stroke when we have to see them in the emergency room and take care of them. And then I'm hoping that we can reduce cost and get a better accuracy and better care delivered to people who are believers in us by engaging them and giving them information so they're not over-tested. Exactly. Does that make sense? Oh, Tremendous uh, sense. And what I see is that you are offering this. You're extending your hand and saying, here, I'm offering this to you. And then it's up to us to accept that. But why wouldn't we? It's really all about living or death. You know what? To be honest, I, I almost say that death, is, does, it doesn't bother me because, <laughs> you know, once you're dead, you know, if you're spiritual, you know, you're in another world, right? right. And it depends on your spiritual belief system. But it's near death that bothers me. I mean, if I die suddenly, boom, lights out, done, you know, fine. Yes, you know, my family's going to be uh, upset and there are other different, you know, uh, repercussions of that. But for me, you know, if I think selfish, you know, I'm done. I'm on the other side of the game. But that doesn't bother me as much as near death. You know, what if I get a stroke based on my lifestyle choices and my genetics? What if I get, you know, a heart attack and they're able to save me and now I have to live with the pump that only works 10% and I'm short of breath, I can't go skiing, which I love, I can't golf, I can't go and run after my kids and, and play ball game with them. I mean, these are the things that really bother me, right? So. Death, you know, even though we create a big buzz about death, you know, death is, you know, it's it's okay. But what about near death? You know, what if you have people with stroke laying in our nursing homes or, you know, somebody you're taking care of for 20 years? Those experiences are the experiences that really emotionally get me more motivated, give me more strength, because it's not death truly that really bugs me. 
it's the near death. And I think if we can lead a disease-free life, an active life, a life where we can at least enjoy till, you know, our time's up, you know, that's what we're aiming for. That's what's causing even financial institutions, you know, the money. It's not per se death, it's the chronic diseases. You know, it's the managing the slow diseases like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, congestive heart failure, you know, slow cancer. And then these are, we're dying, you know, patients are dying every day and we're spending gazillions of dollars in trying to save this and we're not able to improve their life quality. So I think the key here is that if you get on the prevention bandwagon early, you can have a healthier life. Well, I think that totally paints the right kind of picture. It's that in-between place living with the disease that is it's not desirable. And I feel that with your book, it's really a wonderful education, your heart house, the website, and certainly this time you've spent with us this morning, Dr. Manchenda. I really do appreciate it, and I trust that we have really touched hearts literally in terms of being inspired and making a decision to be more healthy. Thank you, Kate, and thank you for having me. And you've been a wonderful listener, and I'm going to learn that from you today, (laughs) how to listen to people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so greatly. It's really been a true gift to have you join us this morning.